Hello and welcome to Stick Together, Australia's only national radio show all about workers' rights and social justice. Stick Together is produced at 3CR Radio Melbourne and broadcast to you all around the country on Community Radio Network. I'm Denis Rogatyuk. We hope that all of you had a great Easter break, whether it was filled with long weekend outdoor trips, Easter egg hunts, or even just roasted days off. Of course, some of us who had to work during that time got to enjoy the still-standing penalty rates, which the Abbott government now seems to have set in its sights upon. And yet others took part in the No Room for Racism rally last Saturday against the Islamophobic Reclaim Australia rallies held in a number of major cities across Australia. As with many Easter weekends in the past, I got a chance to visit and participate in the Marxism Conference, an annual gathering of left-wing activists from right across Australia and the world and organized by Socialist Alternative. This year's special plenary of speakers included two very prominent individuals from the history of the civil rights and self-determination struggles in the 1960s and 70s. Emery Douglas, the former Minister for Culture of the Black Panther Party, presented his talk on the history of radical art and culture that developed with the rise of the Black Panther Party, as well as unveiling an exhibition of anti-racist and anti-imperialist posters and artwork, and talking about the contemporary issues faced by African Americans in the United States. The second prominent speaker of the conference was Eamon McCann, a well-known, long-time-serving Irish socialist and civil rights activist, most well-known being one of the key organizers of the January 1969 Civil Rights March in Derry, which eventually became known as Bloody Sunday. Our program today will focus on the discussion with these two prominent figures. We'll especially focus on the actions and campaigns they've organized as part of their movements as well as the challenges faced by some of the contemporary social and political movements throughout the world, and what we can learn struggles of the past. We are now joined by Emery Douglas, a revolutionary artist and the former Minister of Culture for the Black Panther Party, and Eamon McCann, a long-time socialist from Ireland, civil, civil rights activist, and one of the key organizers in the Civil Rights March of January 1969. Comrades, thank you so much for joining us on 3CR. Glad to be here. Hey, thanks for asking me. Thanks for asking me. Yep. <laughs> Fantastic. Now, uh, both of you have been prominent activists in the civil rights struggle in the past, in Ireland and the United States, uh, respectively. So, uh, how do you see the modern day struggles in your uh, respective uh, countries around the issues which you campaigned in the past, these issues of civil rights, anti-racism, anti-sectarianism. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, civil rights in the United States now is one of uh, police terror. Uh, police across the country are being uh, militarized. Uh, you just recently in uh, April, uh, March you had a uh, hundred people who were shot and murdered by the police. That. Uh, that have been known to be murdered by the police. Uh, so you also have institutionalized racism in the country uh, that is taking place today. And so you, those are the dynamics that are driving a lot of the uh, struggles and the resistance that's beginning to uh, spark another uh, resistance in the country at this time. Eamon? Well, the, the, in some ways, in one perspective, you could say sort of that many of the civil rights demands in Northern Ireland have been won. You know, that there are anti-discrimination laws that have gone on to the statute book, that uh, the 
there's, uh, 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 and they're quite strong laws, but of course they have an equal right to a job is fine. But if there are no jobs, it doesn't really mean very much. And uh, I, we've got uh, unemployment is still very, very high. Uh, one of the big issues was distribution of houses way back sort of in the 1960s. We now have as many homeless people as we had back then. So although there's laws uh, which make things more equal, what they mean in practice is that there's a more equal sharing of poverty. You know, sort of, and that was not what was intended uh, when people demanded social justice in relation to housing and jobs. So it's still a big job to be done. It's also, if I may say, sort of we had imprisonment without trial uh, in uh, the 1970s. Now, the law that put people in prison without trial is gone, but we now have a people uh, in jail without trial under different laws, but they are mainly Muslims. Uh, Islamic extremism, as they call it, uh, is now, uh, you know, the big scare uh, in Ireland, as in so many other places. So there's different people, and 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 uh, in Britain itself, there are, you know, at this moment there are hundreds of people in prison who haven't been charged with anything. So although on the face of it, again, you can say we've had the legal change in practice, we've got the same problem, and. Uh Eamon, uh, with, with regards to the contemporary situa situation uh, in Ireland, th th uh, throughout the whole island uh, of Ireland, we've seen the, the rise of the Sarita government in Greece, and we've seen the creation of Podemos in Spain. So what do you think the prospect is for a similar anti-austerity party or a similar anti-austerity movement ri uh, rising to power in Ireland? Well, I mean, there is sort of a, a, a big movement against austerity. I... Now, the march is against, specifically against the introduction of water charges, which is the privatization of water and then a private company charging customers uh, for water. There's a huge movement uh, uh, against that in, in Southern Ireland. Uh, and, you know, when a huge movement arises and there's hundreds of thousands of people, there's a lot of competition there, you know, and parties which uh, were not supporting radical measures suddenly, because there's so many people around uh, uh, on these demonstrations, suddenly discover that they were anti-austerity all along. So I'm very suspicious of, and um, there's a lot of competition for, we are Saritza, we are Saritza, you know, <laughs> a, 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 a lot of competition uh, for it. So the movement is very strong, but the political expression is still confused and weak, it seems to me. I wanted to switch uh, the theme now, it's more along uh, Along the kind of the experiences that comrades, the comrades have had with the with the uh, armed struggle and the struggle for self-defense in uh, in the U.S. and Iran in Ireland, I'll start with Emery. You've been a part of a uh, the, the Black Panthers. A large part of it was, of course, uh, armed but but peaceful and community community-led organization for self uh, for self-defense for a very for a very long time. And uh, a lot of the uh, Aspects of the Black Panther Party movement uh, are very, are very widely known, and a lot of them are very um, uh, romanticized. As uh, one of the comrades, Boots Riley, has, uh, uh, has told me on the sh on the 3CR show last year. But do you think there should be a revival of this of this party structure and of the armed self-defense in the face of this new militarized repression by the by the state? Well, there is a talk of that. Uh, now, that would be something that has to be done if the people make the choice to do that. 
but uh, there's been talk of that. Uh, matter of fact, I just seen an article in the uh, paper on just the other day online where uh, a gentleman who was a part of uh, Dr. King's uh, organization who just uh, was mentioning about blacks needing to arm themselves in self-defense against the, uh, the terror that's taking place in the United States today. So there's discussions of that. Now, whether that manifests itself or not, I'm not sure. But uh, at the same time, if, uh, if you would be insane if you didn't want to defend yourself against uh, the, the uh, reactionary uh, state that's trying to wipe you out, you, you, you know, so people see that today. Even a lot of young people see that today. You have a lot of young people who are trying to make some decisions and choices on what they want to do. Uh, you got uh, you got fragmented uh, individuals who shot at the police in Ferguson, and so you know, I, and also in uh, L.A. and a few other places that you've had these individuals who are beginning to come to the point of where there's no other options. So. Just as a, a slight follow-up question, uh, but has there been any talk or discussion among the uh, the former members of the Black Panther uh, Party, so the members who have remained on and remain active? Well, you know, to uh, it would be otherwise it would be a, a, a violation of the law, and you would be called a terrorist if you were to suggest such things. That's just something that folks have to do make the choice to do. And uh, Eamon, you've been a critic, a very severe critic of the armed struggle conducted by the various branches of the Irish Republican mm -hmm. Army uh, throughout uh, Northern Ireland. But did you see this ar the, the armed struggle uh, in Northern Ireland as a struggle of self-defense against foreign occupation or did you see it as perhaps even a, rea uh, a reaction to the most uh, right-wing uh, right elements among the loyalist and unionist uh, forces. Well, I mean, the question of you know armed defence in Ireland and in the United States are very different questions, really. Of course, I mean, yeah, of course, of course. Yeah. to just associate them. Yeah. You know, a, a, and it's complicated by the fact that, for yeah. example, in the United States, there's a constitutional right to bear arms. <laughs> yeah. now, of course, there's yeah, lots yeah. of constitutional rights to do lots of stuff, mm -hmm. which are not those rights are not equally vindicated. I, I now sort of, and of course, there's no right to bear arms, sort of, in Northern Ireland, or in Southern Ireland, but in Northern Ireland, there's no right to bear arms. And one of the big differences between, as I understand it, between the Black Panther Party for Self Defence, which is what they, they, the way it was described, sort of, when I first became acquainted with uh, 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 the Black uh, Panthers, that the IRA is a secret army. Now, this is different. Mm -hmm. uh, it's an army which is clandestine, which has a military structure. Uh, a, a, and because of that, it's not answerable to the people. If you have a secret army, it can't be answerable to the people because if you're answerable to the people, your secret army isn't going to last very long. You know, you can't yeah. call a meeting of the local neighborhood and say, should we bomb here, should we shoot there? Otherwise, I mean, it's, uh, it's just ridiculous. So, And there's that long tradition sort of... Uh, in uh, a Ireland of the armed struggle, and it's, uh, 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 I think, sort of it's an unfortunate aspect of our and the, the, the right of people to bear arms and to fight back against imperialism and against the capitalist state is, I mean, absolutely sort of, a, 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 it seems to me, an inviolable right. People do uh, have that right. 
but it, it has to be a, 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 if you're if you're purporting to act in the name of the people, then the people must make the decisions. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, uh, and individuals must. Am I going to join in this? And a lot of people don't like to bear arms, and that's okay with me. You know, uh, most people are peaceful. Most people would like not to have to bear arms. You know, and a, a, I don't want to go on too long about it, but there's a, a, a where I live, sort of, I mean, it's a very oppressed community, but it can also be a very oppressive community because if you're told that it is your duty as a community to support a secret army over which you can have no influence or control, it seems to me that that's open, and it, the experience is that that's open to a lot of abuse. Uh, uh, and, and it's not democratic. And I see that as a big difference between uh, black people in the United States uh, exercising their constitutional right to defend themselves. There's really a, it's a different paradigm, if that's the correct phrase. Uh, uh, so it's too easy to equate them, really yeah. is. Yeah, of Stick together. 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 You're listening to Stick Together on Community Radio. We are continuing our conversation with Emery Douglas of the Black Panther Party and the Irish socialist and civil rights activist Eamon McCann about the fight against capitalism and imperialism in the context of their respective movements, past and present. Yeah. And my next question I once again want to ask to, to both of you. Um, we've seen that one of the biggest obstacles today in the, in the labor, in labor, labor struggle, in struggle for, 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 for civil rights, and even in the struggle of anti-imperialism, is sometimes dealing with sectarianism and building cross-national and cross-race uh, uh, solidarity. What have you been? What have been some of your recent experiences in trying to uh, build uh, these kinds of movements? Um. Well, the Black Panther Party, as as an organization, was always uh, in solidarity across the board with people's struggles around the world. And so, we only difference you had was maybe agreeing on ideological perspectives of those things, but it was always this uh, support and solidarity. So. Uh, Maybe today you have more fragmentation because of, in the United States, it's because the government's uh, uh, manipulation and divisiveness in relationship to infiltration and to cause create separations by um, degrees so that folks won't come together. So you have a lot of that that's happening in the, in the U.S. today. Well, the, 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 I, I think on the face of it, if you just sort of read speeches and sort of articles and editorials and sort of newspapers associated with armed struggle and so forth, you say, yeah, there's a lot of solidarity. A lot of it's sometimes, I think, rhetorical solidarity. You know, it's, a, a, it's like there's these separate struggles going on, sort of, and we'll support yours and if you support ours, uh, particularly in relation to Palestine. What there isn't is a sense of one struggle. You know, a... a uh, I, and I think in that regard, you know, sort of the history and the trajectory of development of the Black Panther Party is really, really interesting and people should study it. Uh, and not just the Black Panther Party, but the whole movement for civil rights and self-defense in the United States. And uh, uh, I think that, for example, I think that 
you know, people think now of uh, Dr. King as this sort of very moderate person, uh, very warm and benign and so forth, and he's sentimentalized. I mean, and, 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 and uh, uh, Martin Luther King Day, I mean, I was watching some of that, and every fucking reactionary in the United States is saying, why support him? What a nice man. You know, what a good man, and so on. Which is complete hypocrisy, and also they don't deal with the fact. But you look at Dr. King and Malcolm X, you can see the way, sort of, in which towards the end of both their lives, and this is one of the reasons they were killed, towards the end of both their lives, they were reaching out, I mean, to uh, other people. That Dr. King, you know, was not the popular romantic figure, sort of, at the end of his life, particularly, sort of, the last year of his life. I mean, he made the speech in the Riverside Church in New York a year to the day, April 17th, before he was uh, uh, murdered. And if you get it on YouTube or anybody who's listening, sort of get that speech sort of and read it, you know, and what you're listening to is an internationalist, anti-imperialist man fighting for the rights of his own people, but seeing that as part of a world struggle, you know, and that rarely comes across when you see document most documentaries and articles about Dr. King move straight from the I had a dream, I have a dream speech in uh, uh, 1963, uh, or, and then his death, uh, uh, and the speech in Atlanta, sort of the night before he died. Everything in between, and those that was absolutely crucial, and those uh, uh, last, what was it, five years of his life, and particularly in the last 12 months of his life, has been written out of history. Yeah. Written out of history. And that's terribly important to go back and look at that because you can't really discuss the uh, civil rights movement in the United States and also the question of armed self-defense unless you look sort of at uh, the last year, I would say, in the lives book of Dr. King and of Malcolm X have got enormously sort of deep and relevant lessons for all of us today and it's precisely because they have lessons for today that we don't read about those aspects of their lives. Precisely, they're frightened. They're still yeah. frightened of Malcolm X. They're still fright frightened of Dr. King. Absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, could you briefly mention some, but some of your experiences that you uh, had in your, in your specific background in Derry, sort of between the experience between the the working class communities of, of, of Protestants and Catholics, and the way to to bridge the. Well, the way that you see it, I mean, and this is again sort of as different to other places. It's very easy to sort of equate, to imagine it with the same pattern, the same model. Everywhere is different. Everywhere has got its own unique struggles, shaped by history and shaped by the balances of populations and all that and the relationship to the world. And for example, uh, a lot of effort sort of in by certain political elements in Ireland uh, to equate the Palestinian struggle with the uh, struggle in Ireland. And it's wrong. I mean, it's just for a start, no major power, including the United States, has any compelling vested interest in the outcome of the struggle in Northern Ireland. United Ireland, they don't give a fuck. I mean, why should the American ruling class care if there's United Ireland or not? There are no vast natural resources. It's not strategically uh, important. But in the Middle East, they do have compelling interests. You know, uh, and that's a big, big difference. So it's a... a, a I mean, the longer I live, sort of, the more I think that you've got to begin sort of from the facts and the practicalities of individual struggles and then unless you have a political perspective which sees the world sort of as one sort of it's, uh, uh, you can fall into all sorts of traps and many people do and I do at times mm -hmm. 
And also there was uh, there was the uh, the very prominent case of uh, Black Panther Party movement actually having a, a, an embassy in uh, in Algeria at well, one point. As well. Yes, yeah. yeah. Well, I was yes, and that when Algeria when Algeria had a more had a progressive government and 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 then we were uh, allowed to have uh, liberation status as a liberation movement, mm. and we did meet. And there's documents and films to show us meeting with many of the African liberation movements and talking and chatting and meet. And we also had Panthers who could not come back to the states, U.S. states, who were there and who were able to come there and stay and for many, many years. And some continue to stay for, uh, in that part of the world for uh, not up until now. Yeah. Yeah. There, Eamon? Well, there's a, a especially what you mean by solidarity. One of the things I was talking about uh, here is uh, the solidarity of Irish Americans with the Irish struggle that I mentioned sort of that... Uh, some of the people there who were the leaders of solidarity movements with the Irish struggle, most of them were Irish Americans. They were racists. They were absolute racists who quite openly and frequently used the N-word to describe uh, uh, they, uh, in, in Boston and places. I mean, sort of, I mean, a, 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 these were the guys who were raising money for the Irish struggle and uh, raising their fists, I mean, up the IRA and Irish liberation. But they wouldn't have a black person near them. They oppose, I mean, the whole busing controversy, for example, sort of in uh, Boston, really brought them out and showed you what they really thought. Sort of, and really, one of the problems, sort of, when you've got people out there raising money and sending it back and they're expressing solidarity, and that means sometimes people don't want to reject them. They go along with it because, they think, well, they're wrong on that, but they're supporting us. So that's... That's one of the poisonous things in the world that we live in, you know, sort of, and that is why you have to have a philosophy, sort of a whole perspective and outlook, which sees struggles as, not as separate struggles that maybe, but as the same struggle, you know, sort of, that we're all human beings, oppression everywhere. You can't really, you're not, you're not going to win individual struggles unless, sort of, unless you win the ball. You never fight you win one until you win them all. The particular take that the the civil rights part of the uh, of the struggle in Ireland took that was a much more uh, uh, that was a, that was a, a a proper uh, stance on solidarity because you, you mentioned during conference that you have uh, you have expressed uh, solidarity with the, um, the with with the, with the with the Black Panther movement or with the with the Afro, uh, African American struggle in the United States and you have expressed uh, solidarity with the uh, with the student movement in. Um, in America and with the, especially with the, with the Berkeley students in, uh, in the university? Well, the Berkeley students I were talking about is a particular case, I mean, sort of because it was in the early 1960s. And, and of course, it was part and parcel of the whole sort of rising uh, youth rebellion, if you like, uh, particularly in the late 60s. But the, uh, what I was talking about in, in Berkeley, free speech is a great thing. You know, uh, free speech in universities is a great thing. But if it's just confined to that, it can be very self-indulgent. You know, uh, I, I remember being a student, you know, and we were bloody great sort of at rousing songs, and particularly when the pubs were closing at night. <laughs> it is a great song, sort of in Britain. Which says, as soon as this pub closes, the revolution starts. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of that. <laughs> right. uh, just, to fini- just the finishing point, uh, comrades. Now, we see we have seen the rise of uh, what, we, what we consider the you know anti-imperialist forces 
throughout Latin America. We've seen anti-Assadi forces on the rise uh, throughout Europe, as uh, as, I, as I mentioned uh, before. You know, we've seen the rise of the Rojava and the Kurdish self self-determination, very prominent, and many many other struggles. Does it make does it make either of you feel a bit more hopeful about uh, our struggle against capitalism and oppression and throughout, throughout the world? Well, again, it's it's it's, it's it, 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 you have to, I can look at it from the context of the U.S. itself, mm. and I can say it's a, at this time it's a, it's a challenge, mm. it's a challenge, and it's an ongoing process. And so, in that ongoing process, perhaps people will come enlightened by the fact of what is taking place: no jobs, lack of unemployment, uh, prison, people becoming aware of the fact of the uh, of being the uh, most. 200, over 200, uh, 2 million people being in prison, being uh, 5% of the world population, 25% of those incarcerated. You got those kinds of movements and raising consciousness. So there's always the possibility of, uh, of something transforming, of something being a spark that lights the prairie fire. Uh, so there's always that possibility in regards to, you got businesses that are, uh, clothes that are never going to open again. So you're talking about lack jobs, and they're never going to be there. You got college students now who uh, got masters and two or three masters degrees working at Burger King and McDonald's. So all those things can play into uh, these being the spark that lights the purifier. And uh, even well, yeah. There's an old it's an English working class song, Cockney song from London. I used to work in London, and people used to sing this song, sort of, uh, in pubs, Cockney, sort of, uh, uh, late at night. Uh, as I said, it's the same the whole world over. Ain't it all a bloody shame? It's the rich what gets the gravy. It's the poor what gets the blame. You know, and that sums up an awful lot of it, you know, and uh, as you say, so right across Europe, there's the same problems, I mean, of austerity, of the state withdrawing from uh, working class communities, uh, withdrawing state facilities, and so forth. And really, you know, and I think more and more people are understanding that sort of, uh, because it's obvious, it's obvious that if you're fighting against austerity in Ireland, then you're on the television and there's people fighting about the same things. So I think maybe, maybe it's going to become easier to link these anti-austerity. What we, we need a European-wide movement. Yeah. We need it. There, there's nothing wrong sort of with Europe that a good European-wide general strike wouldn't put right. There should be, and there shouldn't be, when there are mass demonstrations in Greece, it should be on the same day, sort of at the same time, everybody together. And if you did that, it would break down all sorts of barriers, and really would. Sort of, uh, uh, in between men and women, between races and races, between nation and nation, all those barriers it, it could dissolve, or at least become blurred, sort of, and not as sharp, uh, uh, sharply divisive as they are. So I think there's a lot of hope for that, but it's a hope and not a certainty. Nothing is certain. Uh, you know, you have to intervene. I mean, I mean uh, 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 we can make history as well as observe history, yes. and we've got to start making it. Yeah, yeah. So fantastic. So on that note, we'll just uh, finish off. So thank, thank you so much to both of you for, uh, for the program today, and good luck to both of you in your respective uh, countries and your respective uh, struggles. Yeah. You're welcome. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks very much for having us. And that concludes our discussion for the day. We'd like to remind listeners that this Friday, April 10th, there's going to be a rally and a demonstration against the forced closure of Aboriginal communities in Western Australia. The rally will gather on the steps of the Victorian Parliament at 4 p.m. 
Also, this Saturday, April 11th, there's going to be a community rally at the Victorian State Library at 12pm in support of the Venezuelan sovereignty and in opposition of the US intervention in the region. Well, that'll be all for Stick Together this week. I'm Dennis uh, Rogatuk, and I'd like to once again thank Emery and Eamon for appearing on the program today, as well as thanks to the organizers of the Marxism Conference for inviting them to Australia. Thanks to the Community Broadcasting Federation for its financial support of the program, and thank you for listening to today's episode, and we hope you tune in same time next week.